Chapter 6 Live in the Sunshine Keep yourselves in the love of God. Jude, verse 21 Jude's letter is one of the briefest of all the letters in the New Testament. It contains only twenty-five verses. It is perhaps the last of the epistles. Although the date is not definitely settled, it was probably written after the destruction of Jerusalem, when most of the apostles had finished their work. There is a most delightful spirit of humility in the letter. The writer called himself a servant, the bondsman of Jesus Christ, and the brother of James. That is a beautiful modesty, for it is generally believed that he was the Lord's own brother and the son of Joseph and Mary. The letter was not written to any particular church or people, but the accounts make it especially applicable to us. It is very practical. The heart of Jude was stirred because certain people were denying God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of this, Jude said, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith that was once for all time handed down to the saints. Jude verse 3. That expression in the Greek says that the faith was delivered once and for all to the saints. So the doctrine is the same today as in the days of Jude and before then. Reading on, the twentieth and twenty-fifth verses indicate that we are expected to contend as the early disciples did. It has always seemed to me that faith produced men, and their living in the world was contending for the faith. We have the pattern of the life of the apostolic Christian given to us. If you study the Acts of the Apostles, the letters of Paul, Peter and John, and better still, the wonderful prayer of Christ in the seventeenth chapter of John, you will see that there were three great elements in their character. 1. They were in the world, but not of it. 2. They were constantly looking for the coming of Christ. And 3. They were filled with missionary fire and zeal. These three characteristics must predominate now if the church is to have power. When someone is in the world and not of it, he realizes that he is a pilgrim and a stranger here, and he endures trials and temptations because he knows that they are only for a little while. The second characteristic has just as great an influence. The disciples were constantly expecting the return of our Lord. They remembered the testimony of the men who had heard the angels on the slopes of Olivet, and again and again they opened their eyes expecting to behold him face to face. It was this hope in their hearts that inspired their lives, transfigured the cross and its shame, and kept them pure in the midst of all temptation and sin. The third characteristic is equally important. How much we should desire the salvation of others. Nothing so touches the hidden springs of the Christian heart as to feel in some measure that he is responsible for those around him. Someone has said that when God wants to draw out all the fathomless love of a woman's heart, he lays a helpless baby in her arms, and it is true that the church will awake to power when it awakes to responsibility. There is something that I have in mind that will give us all the things I have spoken about. It is described in the text. If there could be any subject growing out of the text to describe it, I would say that it would be to live in the sunshine. I know what the sunshine does for the clouds. It gives them a silver lining. 
I know what it does for the grass and the trees and the flowers. It warms and nourishes until they blossom into beauty and fruitfulness. If you take the plant away from the light, it will droop and die. But if you place it where the sun will kiss it, then every leaf rejoices. This is the very poorest illustration as to what the love of God will do for us. Let us keep ourselves in the love of God. That word, keep, is the key word of Jude's epistle. Jude tells us that God will keep us, Jude verse 1, but we are also told to keep ourselves, verse 21. We are told to persevere, but it is also said that we will be preserved. This is God and man working together, and it is remarkable, to say the least, that the word preserve and the word persevere are composed of exactly the same letters. The literal rendering of the expression that God will keep us is as in a garrison. How secure then we must be! How may we keep ourselves in the love of God? 1. There is no more efficient way to keep ourselves in the love of God than by prayer. There are different kinds of prayer. Jacob prayed when he met the angel of Jabbok, and his name changed from Jacob to Israel. Moses prayed when he pled with God to look with favor again upon his chosen people. Christ prayed in the garden, for it is said, being in agony, he was praying very fervently. Luke chapter 22, verse 44. However, this is not the kind of prayer I have in mind. Rather, the kind of prayer I am referring to is the kind that Christ offered when he was alone on the mountain with God. I imagine the Father talked with him more than he talked with the Father. It is the kind of prayer that David described when he said, My meditation of him shall be sweet. Psalm 104, verse 34, King James Version. Faith is the eye with which we can see God, and meditation is the wing with which we fly to Him. It is the kind of prayer offered when the one praying feels that He is the only one in all the universe. It is the kind of prayer that if our mother or the dearest friend we had on earth could hear, we would feel that it had been diverted and had not reached God. It is the kind of prayer we offer when we let God talk to us as well as talk to Him. This will keep us in the love of God. Few things will help us as much as this old book, the Bible. Two gentlemen were riding together, and when they were about to separate, one asked the other, Do you ever read your Bible? Yes, said his friend. I do, but I receive no benefit because I feel that I do not love God. Neither did I, replied the other, but God loved me. And that answer practically lifted the man into the skies, for it gave him a new thought. The question is not at all as to how much I love God, but rather as to how much God loves me. Read the Bible in that way, and it will help you to live in the text. Love dictated every word. Love selected every sentence. Love presented every circumstance, and love sent Christ to die upon the cross and you cannot read it in this way without keeping yourself in the love of God. All the means of grace will keep us, but if there is one above another, it would be the Lord's Supper. Simply coming to the table and taking that which represents His body and His blood really lifts the soul into such a condition that it is one with Christ. He who has seen Christ 
has seen the Father. John chapter 14 verse 9. And he who is in Christ is in the Father. What better way could there be of entering into his love? There must be emphasis upon the preposition in. The Greek signifies the closest connection, the most intimate association, and the most perfect communion. All these things are possible. The soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, 1 Samuel chapter 18 verse 1, and there may be just as close a fellowship between Christ and his followers. Every once in a while in this world we find two people whose lives are so blended that they almost look alike. This is often true of the husband and wife. Tennyson had this in mind when he said, In the long years, liker must they grow. This communion of the believer with Christ is suggested by the stones in a building that take hold upon the foundation, by the branches that take hold upon the vine, by the different members of the body all knit together, by the union of the husband and wife, and by the union of the Father and the Son, so that in this union there is a stability, vitality, consciousness, affection, and perfect harmony. If one is in Christ, he will live above the world in the storm's impact. The earth may be covered with storms, but a little way up, the atmosphere is clear and the sun is shining. If we wait upon the Lord, we will renew our strength. We will mount up with wings as eagles. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 31 The Love of God I wish we all would understand the meaning of the expression, the love of God. It is hinted at in this world. Walking along the streets, one hears the words of a song or catches the strains of a piece of music being played and he says, that is from Beethoven or Mozart. I recognize the movement. So in this life we catch strains of the love of God. We behold it in the mother's selfless, self-denying love. We see it in the glow of one who is in love, and we see it in the little child's innocent affection. But these things are only hints. The Bible gives us the best revelation. Beginning with Genesis, the scroll is constantly unfolding. Patriarchs, prophets, judges, and kings each tell their story. So little by little, we get flashes out of his great heart until they all come together as the rays of the sun are converged in the sunglass. Then we begin to understand. It was not, however, until the sun of righteousness arose at his coming that there came the morning light that gives us the thought, not of the administration of God, but of his heart. What is infinite love? The purest, sweetest, tenderest thing known on earth is the overhanging heart of a mother over the cradle that contains her baby, who can give nothing back. The infant receives everything and returns nothing, yet the love of the mother is only a drop in the ocean when compared with the love of God. It is infinite. Infinite. There is a wideness in God's mercy, like the wideness of the sea. There is a kindness in His justice, which is more than liberty. For the love of God is broader than the measure of man's mind, and the heart of the Eternal is most wonderfully kind. Over in England, an archdeacon, 
having nearly reached the end of his life, had his home so constructed that he could spend his closing days in sunshine. In the morning they placed his chair so he could turn his face toward the east and see the rising sun. At noontime they wheeled his chair near the south window, where he could behold the sun at its height. In the evening hours they would place him by the west window, where he could behold the king of day sinking behind the distant hills. So let me ask you in the morning of your life to keep your faces toward the east window, and at noontime to live facing the south window. But when evening time comes, turn your face toward the west window, so that throughout your entire journey you may live in the sunshine and thus keep yourselves in the love of God.